Greetings, mortals, and welcome back to the channel. Today, I have with me a very special guest. Introduce yourself, brother. I'm Paul Tisdall from Australia. And I'm here. Here and present. So, exactly. so you're you're uh, you do alchemy a lot. You're very knowledgeable about alchemy, if we're correct. <laughs> I, a long time ago, I was a, a herbalist and I, I taught herbal medicine. And um, I used to make uh, herbal remedies in or tinctures in the alchemic mode and a few other things. And, and that made a, a lot of sense in relationship to consciousness. And it continued on for 50 years, I think. I'm getting old now. So... Uh, yeah, alchemy is really, for my part, is besides it's a, it does stuff, it's a language. And if we understand the language, um, we it's a way of understanding ourselves. I find it most useful. And gives us a way of, uh, of changing consciousness um, that's somewhat systematic, I guess. So that's alchemy for me. You consider uh, the word, it starts with Al. And that's the uh, beginning and end of, of every angelic name in the Kabbalah. And what it tells us, it's, it's Aleph Lamed. Aleph is the first letter, it's the life death principle. And if you look at the letter, it's a line between what are called two yards or a line between above and below. It's the ox. And Lamed is the ox prod. So we have an ox and we have what moves the ox. Aleph is the life death principle and Lamed is the justice card, law conscious connecting link. So in that context, um, alchemy is the chemistry between above and below via a conscious connecting link. And that's how I see alchemy. Um, well, it's a wonderful divine thing. I'm very impressed with it. <laughs> So, yeah. uh, where do we go from here? Oh, well, I've, I've got a couple questions. Um, so, uh, do you what 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 is your uh, religious beliefs, or or do you believe in in one God, in many gods, in uh, what's it like for you? How do you see the world? Uh, I'm not much into belief. Belief is, uh, it's good and bad, you know. We, years ago, we did a, a, a seminar around Australia. And in the seminar, or workshop, whatever you call it, we did a firewalk. And the purpose of the firewalk was to let people see that the mind is, is much more powerful than they realise. And in simplicity... The idea was to um, 
consider yourself walking on cold, wet grass and get it so strong and believe that you're walking on cold, wet grass. And when you walked across the fire, even when your feet went down into the coals, and they're real hot, um, don't allow your mind to lose its focus and you don't get burnt. Now, that's belief. That's it's bullshit. It's not truth, but it's a dynamic, you know? So I'm, I'm not religious in any context. I'm uh, you know, Anglo-Australian, so my exposure to Christianity is, is pretty much the main theme. But um, I'm, not a, I'm not even christened. So I'm not a part of any religious dogma. I am initiated. Um, and to be initiated on, on in the way I was initiated, uh, you have to die first and consciously come back from being dead. You'll have a conscious death experience, however you want to view it. But that tends to shatter a lot of bullshit. It, takes away a lot of belief and puts you right into the into the theme of things. You know, like in, in Egypt, the house of initiation, the pyramid, has got the king's chamber. And in there is a sarcophagus where the initiate died and was resurrected. And from my understanding, that's what, uh, that's what Christ was giving to humanity. He was exposing the aspects of, of initiation and the alchemy that uh, that takes place under such circumstances. He said, uh, I'll make you fishers of men. So either we all go surfing and grow scales or it has a, a symbolic meaning. Uh, the Kabbalah, the Hebrew letter Nun, as a totem of a fish. So we've got a good place to start looking. And strangely enough, none is the death card. So we have two reasonable correspondences connecting to what Christ said was death. And the bride of Christ became known as the nuns. Now, I'm not really sure that the church understands this. In alchemy, the bride is the salt. And the salt is created by fire. Like, let's say we're extracting from a herb called peppermint. Then you extract the oil and the essence out of the herb. And then you're left with the parched leaves. So you take them out of the glassware and you set fire to it. A very attractive fire because it's full of alcohol, and you burn it and burn it and burn it until there's absolutely nothing left that will burn, and then you're left with a generally a grey powder, and that salt. When it's perfected, you put it back with the oil and essence, and it'll um, in the crucible it'll bubble a little as the salt becomes married with the other two principles. So. If we look at the, um, again, the Kabbalistic tree of life, we need a, it's a, a fundamental blueprint of consciousness and most useful. 
the path that leads the kingdom, Malkuth, is called Tor, 400. And uh, it's known as cosmic resistance. So if you consider uh, creating salt, the fire is burning the resistance that won't allow it to reunite with the other principles that have been um, extracted and um, brought to a higher state of being. The tarot card that corresponds to Tor on the path that leads from Malkuth to Yasun is the world card. And in the world card, there's, there's a mandala. And a mandala is created from two overlapping circles or two overlapping worlds. And if you just draw the mandala and continue a little bit, you've got a fish. Inside the mandala is the Bride of Alchemy, who's standing in a particular posture, her legs are crossed, and from her arms holding the wands of fire is a triangle to her head, and that's the, that's the symbol of alchemic sulfur, which is a flame transcending from the cross of matter. Now, Revelation speaks of... Uh, the what is she the scarlet woman that's what she's called the whore of all great abominations who appears to be um, scarlet with a uh, purpley color dress now if you look at the tarot card the bride who is in the posture of fire has a purpley colored veil across her genitals basically over her shoulder if I remember well, that's the, the scarlet woman, and, and she's full of all these abominations to seduce men. And when the spiritual fire, which can be actually um, called upon, enters one's being, um, it, it sets fire to our stuff. And when it sets fire to our stuff, um, it energizes it initially. So um, being for somewhat unexpected of what's going on and, and don't know the dynamic, we, we live that shit out. And um, kind of exhaust, hopefully, those aspects of, uh, we'll call it the ego, that we believe we are. And that can be a, a painful process. But it's also, you know, it's, it exists in uh, Kundalini psychosis when people undergo Kundalini to some degree. They often become psychological imbalanced for a while. And if they go to the um, doctors and stuff, they generally end up being put on some sort of psychotic drug which just screws them right over. When the process is of salt, when we have to, what the fire does is it digests the matter. <clears throat> now, this is fishes of men. And it's fishes of men in, in many ways. The, the name Yeshua, Jesus, in Hebrew is, is, is spelt uh, yod He shin Vorhe. yod He Vorhe is, is tetragrammaton, which is mistranslated as Jehovah. And if you place the the letters of tetragrammaton uh, vertically 
and top one another, what you create is a pictogram of men. The forehead, the head, shoulders and arms, heart, spine, hips and legs. In the Old Testament, um, Jehovah was outside man and worshipped outside man. When Jesus comes along, he's God incarnate. And the name takes this letter Shin and places it right in the heart, in the centre of, of a cross. We've got yod Hay, and then we've got Vorhe, a cross. The letter Shin is the sound of silence. And when you're um, really present, you'll hear this, it's like tintinitis, this hissing sound. And that's the background energy that fills every space. The idea of uh, tetragrammaton, when it's said correctly, it creates the space. They have banishing rituals in, in occult practice, creating the space. The correct pronunciation, or the pronunciation by consciously connected to tetragrammaton does the same thing, it creates the space. So once you've created the space, Nature won't leave it, in comes the energy. So therefore, you have an energetic space. This is a spiritual fire, and it's the tarot card, the last judgment. And if you look at it, it's also got the symbol of sulfur. There's a cross on the angel's uh, flag, and again, the elbows to head is a, is a triangle. And it's alchemical. Sulfur, soul fire. So when this soul fire enters into matter as such or enters into the image of God, it's a process of becoming enlightened or God realized. That's a fissure of men. That turns the, the image of man, which we can call our ego, to become um, ignited. Now, the image, if you're familiar with the Kabbalah, is in Yesod, the sphere up from Malkuth, where Tor, the world card, connects. The key to, to Kabbalah, as I know it, is uh, the relationship of the tetragrammaton to a flame. The flame has four divisions. It's got an all-encompassing flame, a white light, a blue-black flame, and a burning wick. Now, if you light a candle, the burning wick is the path of Tor, reaching up into Yesod, where the image is. So that image is, is the sexual force, the seed of Kundalini. So it's instinctual. And it's where all the matter basically lives. It gets excited. and it moves through the uh, mental-emotional principle, which is the blue-black flame. And if we digest it correctly and gain understanding, the consciousness enters the white light. When it enters the white light, if we connect it up, the totality of what's happening down below and what's happening above, as Hermes says, then we're whole, yeah? Now Hermes says in the Emerald Tablet, the father is the sun, the mother is the moon, the wind carried in its belly and the nurse thereof 
is the earth. This is the father of all perfection. Well, this is the energy contained within the four elements. This is each speaking of the tetragrammic key, which is the sphinx and the four sides of the pyramid, etc. So when we in the process of, in the process of making salt, we need a flame. The flame is the soul. The light from the flame is the spirit. And within the flame, there's four divisions of, of the soul, which is probably get a bit complex from here. Let's consider the flame our feelings. And let's consider the light our thoughts. So if we get in touch with our feelings and can have some sort of uh, mastery over them, simply by relaxing, then we've separated the sulfur. It's pure and it's separate. Then we're left with the mercury, which is our thoughts. So if we still our thoughts, we've separated the mercury. And then the salt is purified because what is there, what is right there before us, is there without any pollution or impurities from how we feel about it and how we think about it. So we have clear perception. Yeah. That's a pretty big breakthrough in consciousness to have clear perception. When we undergo uh, spiritualization of, of any, any degree, like I say, the self, our stuff gets energized. And we've got all these feelings and thoughts connected to it and off we go and we live them out we play it out and if we fortunate enough to gain understanding we purify that peace and that's light now there's a great key there an enormous key understanding is the light of enlightenment and if it wasn't Uh, what would understanding, what would enlightenment bring? Enlightenment brings understanding of situations. The sage goes into, in tradition, goes into a cave and sits in that cave in meditation until they find enlightenment. Understanding on the Kabbalistic tree is a sphere of binna in the supernal. It's ruled by Hotten. Strangely enough, that's the same as the path of Tor. They're both ruled by Saturn. And understanding is, or Bina, is the throne of God. And that is the final destination of a thing called Merkaba. And there's all manner of uh, images of triangles and pyramids and what have you that say that's Merkaba. Um, maybe an image of Merkaba. Merkaba is a, a vehicle you travel to train. Now, if you consider that Saturn, the divine mother of understanding, is the throne of God, then the dynamic of the bride in the world card, Saturn, 
there's a relationship. There's a thing called the hermetic marriage where the bride and groom wed and there's, um, there's some sort of uh, consciousness phenomena. So the bride we see initially in the world card. Now, when she weds the groom, that's where the blue-black flame unites with the white light. And when that unites with the white light, the flame rises further and enters the supernal. And then the bride, who was married to the groom, in that, that wedding embrace, conceives. Therefore, Saturn below, the suffering and um, karma, etc., of, of the first greeting of Saturn, is transformed and the mother is pregnant, we understand, and the divine child is conceived within her womb of understanding. The divine child is is the seed of wisdom, and we start to become wise. Now, when um, you use a lot of salt, you can you can make a, a vegetable stone in, in herbal medicine. So if we consider that concept, then the philosopher's stone, the stone of the wise, if it did anything, would be the acquisition of wisdom. And this process is, is what initiation is all about. People become initiated. Um, they, with every initiation, there's a series of trials where we confront X. And if we overcome those trials, then we're clear for the next level of, of initiating processes where it's a process of purification. If one is sincere about it, their practice. So we have uh, have the whole dynamic of all that within a single flame, simple flame. Every time we light a candle, there it is right before us. And that's kind of been my work for the last 50 years. Everything sits upon this tetragrammic key. And it's never failed me. It's made me work hard, but it, it's never failed me. There was a, a chapter in the in the Zohar called The Consuming Fire, where they express the relationship between the flame and the letters of Tetragrammaton. I'd already uh, put down some, some work was given to me in, in the initiating process, a particular meditative key. And strangely enough, that meditative key fit perfectly to what was said in the Zohar. So that one small chapter of the Zohar has kind of plagued me for 50 years and unfolded everything. And it's got this really wonderful thing that says, when Tetragrammaton ends with Deleth, which is the number four, it is poverty. 
But when it ends in hay, which is the number five, it's prosperity. So there's a difference of one thing, four and five. Four, the left, is a door. It's the archetype of physical existence. It's uh, Venus. So if you don't open the door, you're in poverty. But if you open the door, the death becomes hay. And you, the one thing, enters the, the ascension of consciousness. That's in this simple little thing of two letters. Um, so profound. That's how I see it. And it, and it works. It works for me and for a considerable number of people that I've helped with. Um, it's helped them enormously. That's it's it's in simplicity. You look at the world card again. The the fish or the mandola is inside the four cherubim. Yeah, it's inside the tetragrammic key, just like the letter shin is inside, right in the heart, to create the Messiah, the one who saves us, which is us, of course. Now. Uh, there's various um, ways of, of looking at this principle. One which you've expressed to me about um, Mercury being the closest to the sun, therefore being Christ as such. And that's correct and incorrect. It's correct when you know the full story. But if you move from what the sun has to offer, you don't get the centeredness required to enter the actual Mercury. So the sun is to Parath, which is right in the center between above and below. And it, its symbol is a, is a dot within a circle. And that is total focus of consciousness. It's the source of everything. Mercury among many things, is, is the letter Beth in Hebrew, which is the number two. But it's also got what's called an audit sound, which is how it sounds, which is And that has an equation of 412, which is seven. So in the, uh, in the Bible, the first letter of the first word is Beth. And in the first letter of the first word is the basic archetype of Genesis, day and night, seven days of creation. So if I'm going to create uh, the image of a house, and death is a house, habitation of life, then the simplest way I can do that is a square and a triangle. It's two geometric shapes that create seven sides, seven points, that fits the archetype. So Mercury, or Bayef, is a house. Yeah. And if we take the, the name Yeshua, 
which is tetragrammaton and shin. Now, I, I don't know whether you're familiar with the letter shin or the Hebrew letters. The, the letter shin is a, is a three-pronged flood. It's, it looks like that. And it's got these little teardrops on the top. That's a triangle. So that's the spiritual triangle. That's part of our sulfur. The basis of the house of God is a square. Yes. That's Mercury. In that sense, Mercury is the name Yeshua, Jesus, the Christ, which is the house of God, which is also the pyramid. What the pyramid produces, which is I'm pretty sure it's common knowledge now, is an energy. And that energy is what I'm talking about. So, if you purify the space with whatever means you utilize the, uh, the four elements and you align yourself with the corresponding four directions, then that space takes in that energy. Not everybody has a, a initially a sensitivity to the energy, and it can be made, it can be called and made quite intense, so that it's unavoidable. unavoidable changes your consciousness, but it's the sound of silence everywhere in the world. You go shh. Everyone's silent. It means silence. No matter whether you're Chinese, Russian, shh, shut up. It says in the Bible the. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the deep, and God said, Let there be light. The Spirit of God is the letter Shin. The waters of the deep, other letter, is the letter Mim. So if you say Mm, your mouth is closed. Silence. A meditative state of consciousness. Everywhere 40 appears in the Bible, there is some sort of trial, like Noah and the tempting of Jesus. There's this trial that one has to go through in order to get to the other side. Every time we silence the mind, we have a trial. When you try to meditate until you've mastered that part of the mind, it will come up with a million justifications why you can't be still. That's a trial. That's men. You have to still. And that's the hangman card. When you look at the hangman card, the legs that are crossed are red. And the torso that's in a, in a um, triangle going downwards is blue. And the head is enlightened. That's enlightened. So when the space is created and the waters are still, this energy can be called. And when it's called and it sits upon the still waters, there is light. If you consider every thought we have is actually light. You know, we, we in a way, just to, to understand in language, we see our thoughts. We may not see a rose as a rose, but it's a way of, a way of describing what happens. We see it. Every thought is light. Now, if we have less thoughts, 
the line is not so fragmented. It becomes more concentrated. And when we have no thought, but we're fully conscious, then the amount of light that's available is unimaginable to the thinker. Because the moment we think, we're away from it. So when the sage goes into the cave and stops the mind, they come out enlightened. This is in the first couple of chapters of, not chapters, paragraphs of Genesis. The spirit of God hovered over the waters of the deep. So if one understands the energy and can contact it, the process is, is sped up. The Kabbalah says one has to be 40 years of age before they enter Kabbalah. That's a pun on 40. You have to have a meditative mind before you can truly enter it. And it's the same even with, with the techniques they were selling, I assume they still are, in goal setting and stuff about visualization and all that sort of stuff. And the idea is to hold the thing in mind and see yourself driving the new car or whatever. And then you go, well, the law of attraction does the same thing. And then you go down the street and you see that exact car. Oh, it's happening. And the mind runs off in another delusion. Well, this is just showing you the law of sympathy where what you focus on the mind starts to speak to you out there. It doesn't mean you're getting the car. And if you haven't, a tra haven't got a trained mind that can sit and not run off in the, in the ecstasy of a desire fulfillment, you'll just get deluded in one, down one of the paths of, of destruction, of loss, where you undermine yourself. But if you have a still mind, you can see those things and understand where they are in the cycle of things, in the, in the Tao, the way things unfold. Okay. I see the Tao as a spiral, which contains the, the same um, formula as, as the fish, P-H-I, the golden moon. And it's like a storm, it spirals from around the centre and goes out, and the further out it gets, it starts to dissipate. So if we have a, a thought of such, something we're focusing on, it comes from the centre, assuming we have found a centre, then it spirals around. And every time it comes around, we can go, ah, and acknowledge it. Every time we acknowledge it, we energise it. Every time we remember it, we put it back together again. Everything's in a Tao, even, even the shit that happens we don't want to happen. It depends on what happens when the cycle comes around is how we respond to it, whether it becomes energised or de-energised. Yeah? We give it energy. It's the same energy. The things in, in the occult philosophy, the, the issues, the subconscious programs and so forth are called elementals. I'm not sure what they call them in psychology, but they're elementals. And being elementals, they're created from the elemental stuff in the nuts, you know, where 
we're passionate about it or we're angry about it, then it's got the element fire. If we're moody about it, it's got, you know, blah, blah, blah. And those things live off our soul, our soul fire. They have no soul of their own. So every time they, um, they need food and, and regeneration for continuing the things, they'll come along into the mind and go, oh, remember me. You're an asshole. Remember me. So if something happens and you get to believe you're that, then it's got its food and it goes away for a while and until it comes around on the cycle of the Tao again, then it's time to have food. This is, is again, the nature of the Tao. So Jesus said, uh, resist ye not the evil. So if you don't buy in, it runs out of energy. And magically, one of the techniques they use is to use a, utilize a banishing pentagram to at least take it out of the awareness. Now, if you consider a banishing pentagram, it, it's kind of to take the energy out anyway. An invoking pentagram is bringing energy into the pentagram. Banishing is in reverse. So it's the same dynamic. If we can't relax and let go, we're not going to achieve anything. The, what I found, and I'm certainly not a student of yoga, but when I, I was, the most profound exercise of all was relaxation. Because you had to go through your body and find where the tension is and relax it. So you're having an awareness of what's in your body. When that uh, stuff comes around, we have stress patterns. You know, you, if you're stressed about a certain thing, you might turn your head a little way and hold it till you get a stiff neck or your neck goes out. So when you catch the bodily stress pattern and the mental and emotional stress pattern, you're actually going into the subconscious because the, the mental emotional process that happens has an underlying fabric. So if you can touch it in the body and let it go there, you're also affecting the subconscious. You're taking the energy out of it. You're not resisting the evil. You're letting go. You're surrendering. Strangely enough, if you look at the, the hanged man card, the one that gets enlightenment, there's not a damn thing that guy can do hanging on to the tor cross, the burning wick. There's nothing he can do but surrender. He can only wrestle for so long and he's just got to give up, let go. That's a great key. Let go. And if we're following that as a dharma, then it's really confronting to the ego because we justify, and I do it with everyone else, we justify the shit we hang on to. We justify why we should be pissed off. We justify why we're whatever. We have a good justification for it. Once we justify it, it's legal to us. That's the ego. That's not 
the Tao. The Tao has its own movement. That's the ego resisting. So if we can let that justification go, then the energy, the resistance to it is no longer resistant. Therefore, there's a, a free flow. The flame ignites and we're starting to get rid of, if we look at that alchemical model I just spoke of with the flame, then that whole dynamic is happening. Now, if the flame gets going, the free flow of energy, and the flames of Mandora as well, if it gets going, then it produces light. And we will gain understanding from whatever that was. It may not be immediately occurring, but once we get enough of that energy out and we create enough light by the dynamic, we begin to understand. If we begin to understand, we will, by, by nature, we will apply our understanding. And from that, we gain wisdom. That's how I see alchemy. And without that, what's the point of any of it? We can, we can make the best medicine in the world, but we might still be the same idiot we were before we started. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a flame. And they say the, the philosopher's stone is red and white. So they say. Well, the burning wick is red and the light it produces is white. That, that works for me right now. So I'm still lighting candles. And it's, it's interesting that uh, <clears throat> you know of uh, Negredo, Albedo, and Rebedo, right? The alchemical process. I find it interesting that the colors of Saturn are black and red. And that's the first and the last of the alchemical. I find it interesting that 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 the color associated with Saturn is red, but uh, like the philosopher's stone. If you look at uh, what is that one of um, vitriol? There's a there's a famous alchemic artwork. Of, I just can't remember the alchemist that made it, but it's it's a uh, seven planets, and in the center I think there's a face, and then it, the bottom planet is Saturn. And down at the bottom, that is is uh, a cube. That's exactly the same process I've just spoken of. And vitriol is is a fire. As a vitriol is where we confront ourselves. And the cube is, besides being the Merkabah and all the other things, it it's a, a a piece of geometry that's used to give dimension in architecture. So it, it suggests other dimensions or inner dimensions. So, and that pointer of Saturn going straight into the cube is suggesting the same thing. We've got to go within to the inner dimensions, then get going. No point to doing anything else. I don't reckon. Where it? Well, that's kind of my story. My story today, anyway. <clears throat> I, for those that are um, 
I don't know who's going to see this, if any, but one of the most important things on a intellectual level that that really helps is to have some kind of not dogmatic but understanding of the tree of life. It gives you a uh, a map of consciousness, and if we start to associate um, things as they are in the tree by correspondence, we train the mind to move or to connect in that sort of manner. Now, it just so happens um, that it has a, a great practicality, even in, in with herbs. Like, for instance, the herb nettle. Will you guys get nettle over there, stinging nettle? In Sweden, they have stinging nettles? Or are you blessed? No, no, we don't have any. Well, stinging nettle is a wonderful plant, rich with iron, but if you touch it, it stings severely. And uh, it's ruled by Mars. Obviously, the circle and the arrow of Mars, it can't not be. And there's a herb called dock. Uh, it's ruled by Jupiter, which is on the opposite pillar on the tree to Mars. And if you get stung with the nettle, there's nearly always dock grown close handy. You get the juice from the dock leaf and you put it on the sting of the nettle, gone. That's the law of opposing opposite sides of the tree. Similum, something from the same side of the tree, is homeopathy, where to remedy nettle, you take something that produces the symptoms of a nettle sting, like nettle itself, and you potentize it, you take it to a higher vibration. But then the archetype, because the two archetypes align, the energy connects, and it brings things back to equilibrium. That's all in the tree of life. So it works in, in that sort of practicality that's um, harmonic with nature, then it must also be beneficial for us to organise our mind in that particular way of, of harmonising with, with the earth. And it does bear... Um, dividends, but don't ever let it become dogmatic. Otherwise, you throw the child out with the bathwater. I think that's how it goes. So uh, that's me. So do you do you do practical alchemy too? I haven't. I I haven't done. I used to just um, make herbal tinctures when I practice and for myself, but uh, many years ago, um, I got involved with a thing called radionics. Um, have you heard of radionics? Never heard of it. Not no. Uh, it, it's, it's a wonderful piece of technology where the technology is, um, it produces a small amount of energy and it has uh, ways of calibrating the frequencies very acutely so you can get a frequency down to an extremely precise level and if you take someone's sample like their hair and it goes into the machine 
and you know what these frequencies are, like particularly for homeopathic medicines, then you can treat them via the piece of equipment um, anywhere in the world. They don't have to be there. So you just need the piece of equipment. So I got involved with that. And uh, wow, <laughs> very good piece of technology. In ag agriculture, it is stunning. You can take, take a photograph of, of a field and you treat the photograph. So you don't need chemicals. You don't need much labor. They did a, a trial in, uh, I think it was the early 80s in America of corn crops. And they took an aerial photograph and they treated the photograph. They apparently, I think this is correct, they saved that's $70 million in pesticides, insecticides and all the rest of the insecticides they put in the soil. And they produced the best corn crop they'd ever produced. And then uh, Monsanto or, and whoever else lobbied the government to have it outlawed as best they could. That's applied magic. That's what it's just simply applied magic. Think where we'd be if we'd followed those lines. Yeah, instead of where we are with the authoritarian pharmaceutical regime that's poisoning everything, including our minds. So, yeah, that's the that's where my sort of alchemy went in that stage. But um, it always was with consciousness with me. That's how it happened. And um, I'm satisfied with that. I do know a couple of guys that have um, ventured down the physical road of physical alchemy. And they've had uh, great success, but the greatest success they've had is in consciousness. I think it's, I don't exactly know where it's said, but I know it's said that it must first occur within the alchemist for there to be a transmutation. If yeah. we consider lead as our karma and suffering, and gold as the self-realization, and gold doesn't tarnish, it stays gold forever, then what it is, if you put a piece of gold on lead, you can't see it unless there's light. You don't know it's there unless there's light. So light first. If you've got no light, if it's not happening within you, it's not happening at all. And there's your mercury. That's the universal solvent. You've got to have that light. It's got to be within you. Otherwise, it's not happening at all. So that's as far as that alchemy goes for me. But it's did still you know? Did you know that mercury is used in uh, gold refining? The the metal mercury. Yeah. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me, no. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that, but yeah, that, I'll add that. I'll add that one to the shelf of mercury. Eh? It, it, 
I did a, a I don't know where it is now, but a glyph of Mercury where it's the, the symbol of Mercury. And it's actually Venus with a moon. And Venus on the tree of life is victory and practice. Uh, it's the stanza of the Lord's Prayer, um, the bread, the daily bread. So you do the practice daily. So we've got a square, a, a cross, which is the alignment of the four directions, and we have the magical circle. On top of that is Mercury, is to receive the light. It's the cup of receiving the light. And I see Mercury as, uh, as moonlight upon the water. And if the waters are ruffled, the image or reflection of the light is greatly distorted. But if they're still, you can see the reflection of what is. And that's how the mind should be. That's how we should perceive the light, by a still mind. Mercury. They, um, the modern pharmaceutical industry assumes those that know something about it, assumes its credibility to um, Paracelsus because he was a great physician and, and alchemist. But what they did was they assumed when he spoke of alchemic mercury, they thought it was the metal. And they started making medicines for mercury and so forth, the metals that aren't prepared alchemically. So what was that, 1600s thereabouts? They've been poisoning people ever since. They're not understanding what the alchemic mercury is. That's one statement they took from Paracelsus. And homeopathy actually has its roots in Paracelsus, where the Hanuman, the guy that put it together, did so after he translated Paracelsus. And what homeopathy does, it works on law. Like gravity is a law. You hold a stone and you let it go. Gravity does the rest. You don't have to do anything but surrender. Yeah. So when we know law, you don't have to force anything. You just surrender to it. If you understand the Tao and the way of things, you surrender to it. And it does it when you're consciously connected to law. And there are laws. Law of economy is one I've spoke of over the years. Nature doesn't waste a leaf. Everything is composted. It goes back to feeding. Not, nothing in nature is wasted. It's extremely economical. It, it's got to be. It's maintained the ecosystem until we've come along and started to bugger it up. Of its own nature, of its own laws. And if we consider our mind as economical, then we come to the center of mind, the still mind, where enlightenment is, where it all happens there. Every thought has a cost. Every action we have is it economical. Does it flow? And what it if you play with it or let it play with you, it takes you into the Tao and you begin to see it unfold lawfully without 
the ego's participation. And as it starts to unfold, it's easier to surrender the ego's control. Yeah? What did Jesus say? I am the, the life and the way or blah, blah. I am the Tao. When we surrender enough, we're a part of the Tao. And that's miraculous. Without our effort, our, our ego's participation, we hit this zone. It's a wonderful place. We've got to put that ego aside, eh? It tricks us up every time. So what advice do you have for uh, letting go? That's it. It's a hard question. <laughs> it's, it's the outbreath. Look, if, you can't let it go unless you possess it. You can't take a splinter out unless you know it's there. So meditate, without meditation, um, you've got no centre to the circle. You've, you've got to hit the centre of the circle. Meditation is the key. From there, everything else is outside. When you're still you can, and you're relaxed, you can start to notice when you become stressed and the shoulder lifts up or whatever happens. And then you can let that go. But you have to have the awareness and the objectivity or detachment to see it. And it's all only ever momentary. Enlightenment's only momentary. We can be enlightened one moment and then next moment we tread in the dog shit and we're complaining about the dog shit. It's momentary. We deal with things that are in the moment. It's simple. You know, we've, we've got all these worries about what's happening tomorrow or the next day, but they're not here now. And if we practice being here now, generally, they work themselves out. We just get and go with it. If we can get into that, things working themselves out, not being lazy because that's a, another distraction, it's an elemental. But getting into that current, things work themselves out. They work themselves out in accordance with our karma. And our karma is noticeable when we address the events that we're in. We address them in the nature of the flame, then we transcend Saturn. We turn lead to gold. It's all the same process. So yeah, let go. That's the easiest way. What what doesn't allow us to be present doesn't allow us to be present. We're being dominated or possessed by it. Yeah, we can utilize. Um, force and anger to confront someone. And in a way, we're, we're using, um, employing a demon to do our bidding. But unless we're extremely masterful, somewhere along the line, that demon will possess us and we'll have to confront our karma. We've been possessed by it and the deeds we've done utilising it that weren't um, in the best interest of humanity. It's simple in theory, but it requires um, a degree of concentration to be present with it in practice. Simplicity. The Hokma, which is wisdom in the Kabbalah, it's 
totem or symbol is a mountaintop. And if you set yourself on the mountaintop, instead of traveling the path, it's a simple journey from A to B. But when we're down on the path, we're going around one bend after another, wondering, you know, what's, where are we? What's happening? What's going to go on? So if it's complex, then we're not seeing it from a high enough vantage point. We're not seeing it from wisdom. So see it, simplicity, in simplicity. If we can't find it in simplicity, then let it go. Until it, it, if it's there for us to confront, if it's part of our karma, it will come again. Just by letting it go, it's, it's, it, and we've got to address it, we've got to transmute it. It won't go away, it'll come again. But it, you're more aware and it will be more refined or you'll be more refined in, in seeing it and perceiving it. It's a spiral, an upward spiral. And it'll just refine itself. If you don't understand, well... I don't understand this, let it go. But you're consciously doing it. That's the thing, is being consciously connected to what you're doing. Our community, being consciously connected to the life-death principle, the breath, which is a left. The life-death principle, the in and out breath. So being consciously connected to the duality of life. Now, if we look at the letter left, it's again, it's a line with a yod at the yod. The line, I call the line drawer, is your conscience. Now, it's really hard to get the conscience functioning without, particularly if you um, have a religious dogma. Because you got this sin and guilt shit. And you can't don't connect with your own consciousness. So you beat yourself up. But your own conscience will tell you, will show you ah, that, that you don't want to do that. You'll feel it. You'll, you'll get it. Well, a child has an umbilical cord to the mother. And we have a, what is it called? A, a, is it a silver... Silver cord, that's what it is. It connects the soul to the body. That's your conscience. So if we develop our conscience, our own inner connection, we don't need the dogma of sin and guilt or whatever madness is projected upon us. That has its place. It's a good guideline. Let it be your guide. Live by it. If you get it wrong, you'll know real quick. And you'll learn and you'll make adjustments. That's what karma is about. It's about adjustment. It's not about punishment or reward. It's about, oh, come back to the central path. Come back, don't go, no, back to the central path. That's all it's about. Just to teach us to follow that path. The line drawer. The first letter of the alphabet, LF. The fool. That simple journey up that path. That's him. Uh, this has been super fascinating. It's a bit simple, isn't it? Well, I think it is. 
Um, I think it's pretty complicated as well. <laughs> What's the language? You know, I'm, I'm familiar with the language. Yeah. So I say say left, and all of that is before me. So it's just in one, and that's why I say um, the understanding the tree of life in a it, it brings us into the language. So we've got concepts that we don't normally don't even consider, like even considering understanding as a principle. There's a whole different mindset, and wisdom as a principle. That that's really. Helpful. We go to school and we learn all these things, but we don't learn anything about ourselves. And there's obviously other other systems, and that's it's just a language. I find the Kabbalah, um, the Hermetic Kabbalah particularly, underlies this underlies every culture. You know, it's it's like that. Shh. It's universal. And if I say the number two, and I go like that. With two things, doesn't matter whether you're Chinese or Yugoslavian or whatever, it's still two things. And that's archetypes. The, the Kabbalah expresses um, creation in four worlds with the tetragrammic key. The divine world is the world of archetypes, which is the all-encompassing flame, and it contains everything within it. When we understand the archetype, we can see it actualizing itself within all the planes of existence. So there's a thing that appears for a lot of people called 11-11. You might have seen the time come up at 11-11. It always seems to be appropriate when it does. And there's all sorts of wonderful theories. Pi, in olden times, was always given in proportion or portions, rather than decimal accurate numbers. So the diameter was seven portions long, and therefore the circumference is 22 portions long. What we have there is we have a diameter and two halves. We've got seven days of creation, day and night. And we have the 22 chapters of revelations, the 22 letters, the 22 paths of the tree of life, the 22 tarot, major arcana, all within this system. Pi is the basis of Kabbalah. And if we're going to structure anything, that's build anything, that's one of the formulas we need to know. And it's archetypal. It's archetypal in the context of when we looked at Genesis, we find there's the circumference and the two halves as well, the house. This line that divides the circle, the seven deadly sins and the seven virtues, cuts the 22 divisions of the circumference into 11, 11. Yeah? <laughs> so we've got 11 above and 11 below. In the Kabbalah, there's 
uh, there's 10 spheres on the tree, but there's an 11th sphere that is and is not. It's called Dharma, means knowledge. And it's the portal to cross the great abyss into enlightenment. And it's um, guarded by an archdemon called Koronzon Sigal. Both names have the value of 333, which is the beast 666. And it's also the symbol of salt, the line dividing the circle. So you can't go into the supernal with impurities. You'll just go nuts. You know, the, the energy will just send you nuts. You, all your attachments and beliefs will just blow up and you'll go crackers. So you've got to get rid of that shit We go into the supernal. 1111, when you can read it, is the above connecting to the below. So um, something will, will come on the TV which is precisely a part of what's going on in the mind or in the conversation. Someone will walk past and do something. That's 1111. Because the above, the spiritual component is expressing itself in the below. What we have to do, we have to be clear enough to be able to read it. If we've got attachments, you know, beliefs, etc., then it's distorted. Salt, the line in the circle, shows the horizon. And it's flat. It's still, there's nothing on the horizon. It's present right here, right there. If we're full of desire, if we're full of reaction, what can we read? The water's ruffled. We have to be present. Now, this is a place where the Kabbalah becomes, comes into its own because it's a precise alignment of archetypes for the law of correspondence. So a particular archetype expressing itself above and below in the moment is related to a place on the tree of life. It has a numerical sequence. And all of that, when it's not dogmatic, makes sense. If, if you've got uh, some sort of spirit or something giving you grief, and you, if you've got its name or some sort of signature of it, you can address it. If you haven't, it's, it's like it's netzar, it's, it's feeling, it's in this, it has no, nothing in, it's just this funny thing that happens, but I can't really grasp it, like a feeling, you know, it's there, but it's underlying, it's making me do stuff, but I can't, I just can't handle it, it just gets me all the time. If you can name it, you've, you can master it. Feeling is netzar. Hod is, is the intellect as such. If you can name it, you connect feeling and thought. That's the path of pay on the tree of life, 80. Pay is the mouth where you speak. And it's the tower card which destroys the tower. Energy comes from, you know, joint comes from Kether down and goes bingo and the thing is shattered. You've mastered it. You've got that force, the lightning flash. You try it for yourself. Once you can name it and really can it, yeah, that's, oh, yeah, I'm jealous. The moment you can recognize you're jealous, you're already one step away from being possessed by it. 
It's that simple. We do this, this stuff all the time. We just don't know ourselves. If we know ourselves, the Kabbalah gives us this wonderful map of us and how we can apply it. So it's, there it is. The Kabbalah is telling us this works. And you apply it and it works. You've proven it. You know for yourself. Above and below. You know. When, you, when you know from theory and practice, you'll start to be able to recognize it here and not have to get down into here. Oh, there it is. It's like, it's like when we're overcoming um, karma and such, you know, like you kick the dog and the dog bites you. So if you're smart, you go, oh, yeah, I connect the two, don't kick the dog. You don't kick the dog, problem solved. Maybe the first time you do it, you kick the dog and you tread in the dog shit. Do you associate or do you just kick the dog and you try to trot in the dog shit? Yeah. You don't get that one and you still carry on the same way. The dog bites you. You know, it escalates so that you get to a point of actually, oh, acknowledging your behavior and making adjustment. It's subtle or it's gross. Depends on our awareness. So if we can learn to read, then we don't have to sort of walk in front of the bus. We can just miss the bus or get the idea and the whole, the Tao of the whole thing we need to learn. We've made the adjustment and we move on. Um, I've learned a lot of those little things from Kabbalah, but you've got to apply them every day, you know. I travel the dog shoes occasionally. Got to wash it off, you know. That's the nature of it. So what's your opinion about synchronicities? That is it. That is synchronicity. 11-11 is synchronicity. And Jung, it's a Jungian thing. I worked with Jungians a long time ago. Uh, they're probably still working a bit slow, but profound. Jung got into um, that part of his, his process by um, introduction to Paracelsus and the Kabbalah. Oh, really? Yeah, and that's where that's where he really got the grounds to to get in and, and do it. Yeah, Paracelsus and Kabbalah. So same thing, but that's synchronicity. It synchronizes, and it synchronizes wonderfully of its own nature. It's not like we try and create it. It just there it is, and you've got to be in the moment. You've got to be present right there in the moment to oh yeah, and, and be able to connect it up because if you've got you know you've got stuff running. One, it's really hard to see, and connecting it up with something else is hard because there's all this stuff running. You connect it, can plug it into the wrong channel. So, like Kabbalah says, you've got to be 40 years of age. You have to have the still mind. You have to have the meditative mind. I was fortunate, I suppose, in the early stage of, of my process, I was given the meditative key, which is I've actually spoken what the meditative key is, how it functions in all this. It's all the tetragrammic key. And I'd sit there sometimes up to 20 hours a day. So I developed um, capacity of stillness of mind. And then I walked away from it and walked into the opposite, uh, the chaos that I had to address beyond the stillness. 
And once that chaos was addressed, I was at peace and I was still again. You must have that stillness. Every day, and that's if something's going on in the mind, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, but let's say you're having a mental discussion with some auntie that's less than pleasant. As a discipline to do is that look around the room. Is that person there? No. Is there any reason to be intimidated by a person that's not there? No, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's economy again. Just the person's up there in the room, then come to the room. After you've practiced that so that it's um, instinctual, then when this horrible auntie comes to mind, it may be that you're picking up on the horrible auntie because you know the stillness, you'll know the space. And then you can tell the horrible auntie, hey, look, you've been a bit off here. Go and get it together. Off you go. And next time you see auntie, she's a different person. She's confronted it. Yeah, it works. But we've got to be present. We have to have the centre of that wheel before we can steer the wheel. That's funny. If you look at a wheel, if you... If you like a bush bike, you've got to have the centre to steer it. Same with the car. You can't steer it from the outside. You've got to steer it from the centre. What's that, physics, is it? The physics of a push bike. From the centre. Simple. Wow. This has been great. I think it's about time we wrap it up. Or uh, how do you feel? Yeah, that, that'll do me. I'll go and check the surf now. Yeah, um, so if people want to find you, uh, the, is there a way to contact you? There, there's, we have a website that we're in the process of, um, of putting together. It's together, but there's, I've just, I'm in the last of 20 videos that I did some stuff. I think it was last. It's probably taken me a year to do them. I did some stuff called the table. Um, anyway, there's 20 20 discussions I did and I recorded the audio and I've just layered atop the audio the archetypal language and I've got one to go. I'm excited about one to go. And um, I think we've just finished a, a, an e-book that is to be uploaded maybe today or tomorrow to go onto the website and blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, it's uh, my name, Paul Tisdall, and spirituallife.com. That'll find me. I exist for now. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much. This this was great. I'll have to have you on sometime again. Okay. You take care. Eh? Ciao. Ciao. Oh, you, oh, you can get out of this. I'll follow your suit. <laughs>